What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. Hi, this is Josh Marshall, and this is the Josh Marshall Podcast. David. Hello, Josh. How are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. So it's, it's kind of a... I, I'm... I'm okay, but it's a it's kind of a bleak time. Yeah, it really is. I mean, it's hard to say like, oh, I'm doing great. <laughs> yeah. I'm waiting for the next like yeah. horrific gun massacre. Yeah, that's true. But some good news. We're joined by a very special guest, Kate Riga, breaking yes. news writer at TPM. Hey, Kate. Hello, everyone. How are you doing? Very excited to make my podcast debut. Yes, we're good excited to have you. Good to have you, yeah, you here. Absolutely. Well, we're gonna. Oh, you go ahead, David. Yeah. So over the weekend, you know, we we had the news on Saturday of this shooting in El Paso. It happened at a Walmart. You know, the death toll really shot up pretty quickly and, you know, started kind of the way these things usually go, multiple fatalities. And then over the course of the day and into the evening, you know, I think it maybe crept up to about 18 or 19. As of yesterday, the police have confirmed 22 fatalities in that shooting. Then you wake up Sunday morning, basically, you know, while the El Paso news is still fresh to yet another mass shooting in Dayton, Ohio this time, nine people killed in that. And, you know, in a way, these shootings just... There's sort of a routine nature to the coverage. It's kind of like the the death toll creeps up and the the suspects' details start to come out. You know, we remember the victims and their and their details, but it's sort of it's hard to know how to approach them differently in a way when they become so commonplace and so. I don't know. Well, I, that's really the thing. I mean, they are. I mean, the, the reporting follows a certain kind of script because the thing follows a certain script. I mean, I I I was just. Uh, I, I was writing something this morning, and 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 I was, and I, I think everybody has thought of this. Certainly, everybody in the news business, when you have to cover these things, but that there's, they're so common, and and but there's several different types. You're like, okay, is this a kind of a, a white supremacist thing? We're going to find out. This guy has, and it's almost always a guy. I mean, yeah. I think the last one I can remember where a woman was involved wasn't it the in California. There was the, a husband and wife. Oh, the jihadist thing, right? That, 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 right, that was like in late 2016. Yeah, a few years there ago. There was also that YouTube shooting, but I think that never came to fruition, or right. she never ended up shooting anybody else. That's right. I remember oh, that. Yeah. That was just sort of a blip on the yeah on one of the you know right. Well, I guess, I guess also there's and uh, there was some somewhere some news organization I saw discussing this that there's some question about you know what is a mass shooting? Obviously, you can have a case where there's a, you know, domestic violence, someone kills their family, you know, these kind of, I mean, my sense is what we're really talking about are these cases where it is done precisely to have a public effect, which in some ways is the definition of terrorism. But these cases where usually they're relatively indiscriminate, you know, you're not, the person isn't like, Killing an ex-lover or killing a boss. There, don't want to think about that one. Yeah. That possibility, <laughs> yeah. but you know, killing a boss or something like that. It's it's maybe there's some general rage. You have the class. I mean, again, that classic school shooting. That's another one where it's like you know, it's not doesn't 
usually have a kind of a an explicit ideological component, but it's just some super angry yeah. young guy. Yeah. And he just and this is how he's gonna like kind of go out in, yeah. a, in a blaze of glory. But um, we've got the t- you know these types. And and uh, and then you've got these ones that are sort of incel based. And for those of you who don't know this, you know this bizarre uh, uh, nomenclature, you know, invol- quote unquote involuntary celibates, which is this kind of, you know, this kind of ingrown male rage about, you know, uh, it's. But you know, it's it's sick that we've got yeah. that we all know these different categories. And it There's does like half seem, a dozen of them. It does seem like the the gunman in the Dayton, Ohio shooting falls more in that territory. That the Associated Press talked to some former classmates of his who said that he had a, a hit list and a rape list and was suspended kind of over these, you know, hateful kind of lists that he had put together and on a vice and BuzzFeed yesterday reported that he was in a was it a porno grind band? Is that yeah, what you it. call it? It's sort of like a misogynistic, hardcore metal type band. Right. With and I guess some of the you know I don't know a ton about that scene, but some yeah, of I'd the, never heard that phrase before until I saw it, and I almost I, I wasn't even totally clear whether when I saw it written about whether someone who knew him had come up with that phrase, but I guess not. Yeah, like that's a thing. sort of. To some of the members of the scene, it seems like just kind of a jokey thing, I guess. And I don't know if this was just former bandmates or associates kind of trying to distance themselves from someone who, you know, committed an atrocious, atrocious act. But said, oh, you know, for this guy, it was apparently real life and not just kind of a, I don't know, a joke. Or yeah, well, it's it's uh, it's funny too because after the after the uh, the the Dayton shooting. A number of, particularly some right-wing outlets, have looked at the guy's social media feed, and it looks like—I mean, from from my perspective, it looks sort of like generic millennial left politics. Not, pe- right. you know, pretty unremarkable. There was actually one thing in there about, you know, everybody's talked about this quote with Biden, where I mean, he doesn't really actually say that, but you know, kind of, oh, millennials, stop complaining, blah 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 blah. He kind of, you know, dunked on Biden about that, and he had another thing where. You know, he'd be for uh, Warren and Harris, but Harris was a cop, as he put it. Now, obviously, not literally a cop, but a DA, law enforcement. Right. So, sort of, you know, just again, this is pretty conventional, sort of young left, whatever. Yeah. And so, and a lot of people were kind of saying, oh, you know, that guy in, in El Paso, he's a right winger, and this is a left wing shooting. But really, th- this is, I, I think it's, it's, it's important to see the distinction that there's no evidence that this shooting was motivated by like the fact that he's I don't know if he's like a Bernie Sanders supporter right. or, or whoever supporter. It just kind of he had some sort of vague political opinions. Right. Um, and there's a huge difference between that and someone saying, "I'm killing all these people because I think our country's being invaded." I mean, it's an, it's an obvious. Uh, distinction that I, you know, there's a lot of whataboutism going on with that. And, and, and as you said, it's, it's these things kind of bleed together, but the underlying thread in most of them is a relatively young man who's super angry. A lot of that anger is expressed towards women, not being, you know, he, he, feels that he's 
you know, not love, doesn't have access to sex, and he's he has feelings of rage. I mean, this is, I think most of us know that type, just not in a type who goes off and like right. murders 20, 25 And then also people, it's sort of it's, encouraged it's, or fostered in on, you know, online communities yeah, that yeah, are yeah. increasingly kind of not lawless exactly, but unregulated or unrestricted and... That's where these the manifestos that pop yeah. up a lot of times in these shows yeah. on, on HN yeah. end up. But bef- before we get too deep into this topic, should we take care of a little business before? Yeah, no, it's funny when 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 we were saying I, I, in the back of my mind, I'm thinking I'm thinking like oh, I gotta re- I, I gotta do the Grady's ad, but I'm like ah, oh, feel bad for Grady, man. This yeah. is like, kind of bumming everybody out here with right. this with this. But let's uh, let's 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 momentarily shift to a more positive mood. And I'll tell you, if you're roughing it in the wilderness or traveling to some remote destination, finding the perfect a cup of iced coffee can be a serious challenge, but Grady's Cold Brew is here to help. Grady's reusable all-in-one cold brew kit is ultralight and packs flat, so it's easy to stash in your suitcase or backpack. All you need to do is add water. Tap, bottled, filtered, whatever. You can even get it directly from a mountain stream. No electricity or refrigeration required when you brew it this fresh. Each kit makes 36 cups of coffee for only 30 bucks, and the shipping's free. Grady's Cold Brew is independently owned and operated in New York City since 2011. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. All right. So yesterday we heard from President Trump who kind of said the, you know, what he says a lot of times after something like this happens, you know, we we feel for the, the victims and their families. He blamed mental illness. He said mental illness pulls the trigger, not the gun. He blamed video games. Mentioned a couple kind of small-ish policy proposals to address this issue, including red flag laws, which basically if you're exhibiting certain signs of instability that hopefully it would keep you from getting access to guns. But Kate, you wrote a piece this week, yesterday, I guess, for our Prime members, which you should, of course, subscribe to uh, if you're listening to this, about just kind of the changing political realities around this. Do you want to talk a little bit about this, kind of what's going on with the NRA and things like that? Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I think it's it always feels like something of a fool's errand to kind of hope that maybe this tragedy or this certain instance of bloodshed will be the one that finally convinces really Republicans that human life is, is worth the lobbying money. But at least for me, after Sandy Hook, it kind of felt if baby-sized coffins don't do it, then nothing will. But in the other shootings, we haven't seen the NRA literally imploding before your eyes, which you know is one of the biggest reasons why Republicans never make any meaningful moves um, on gun control legislation. So TPM's reported a lot about this, and you have the the battle between the NRA and Ackerman McQueen, their longtime advertising partner, which blew up and is a, a lawsuit, and there's accusations of mishandling money, and, and that trickled down into a proxy war between Oliver North and Wayne LaPierre. At the same time that they're having all this infighting, you've got lawsuits from the Attorney General in New York, Every Town for Gun Safety, Cuomo's, uh, Andrew Cuomo's cracking down on their insurance business. So it's like, you know, we've never seen an NRA so hobbled before. Right. Let me ask you this, Kate. Did I saw there was, there's a thing, I think it's called the ILA, which is kind of like their think tank. Institute for like legislative affairs. Something like that, right. Now, they had a, they had a, a press release, I think it was out yesterday, and it was like pretty kind of low energy mm-hmm. you know have people you know it, it it it's it said something to the effect of like 
you know, thoughts and prayers to everybody who died. And uh, I think like, oh, and we're, you know, President Trump says we're going to look at if there are things we can do. And that's awesome. Right. Go, President Trump. Right. And there there wasn't uh, wasn't what happened, I think, most notoriously after after Newtown, where, you know, everybody kind of thought like, okay, they're 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 going to have to offer something after this this horrific massacre. And they were kind of silent for about a day. Mm -hmm. And then they come come back like, you know, the best best defense, a good offense. Yeah, I remember that Wayne LaPierre speech. Yeah, totally over the top, yeah. totally, you know, apocalyptic. Again, and, yeah. Right. Now, have you seen anything that that Kate that that sort of people are saying maybe this maybe all the scandal, all the implosion is is making them a little less aggressive? Have you seen that? Well, the have biggest thing that? the biggest thing I've seen is that they've got no cash flow right now. Right. And you can't lobby as effectively without the goods to back it up, you know, and I think the Republicans who are depending upon that money for re-election whatnot mm-hmm. they know that you know right right and it's i just i think it has to be a sheer matter of manpower how mm-hmm. can you be fighting all these things at once and then also are you really going to extend that energy to go after whatever kind of toothless measure that trump right. even considers you know right. i mean that right. happened with bump stocks a full year after the poll shooting but still you know the nra was secretly okay with bump stocks to begin with because it undermines their semi-automatic versus automatic right. weapons thing. But it's just, it was the same kind of thing. It's like, you know, not, they're fighting so many different fires at once that I think they know Trump is not going to bring up any gun control of substance. Yeah. Gun control of substance wouldn't pass the Senate. So. Right. Well, there, you know, there's another, uh, I think John Harwood may have may have brought this up. He, he noted that as, even in Nancy Pelosi's first speakership from uh, 2007 to 2011. Do I have that right? Yeah, t- 2011. Um, something like a third of her caucus was from rural districts, and now, and it, it was something like, um, you know, a third urban, a third suburban, and a third rural. And not every everyone from a rural district is going to be, you know, opposed to gun control, but it's a it's a pretty decent proxy. And now it's one out of seven is from a rural district huh. and half are I I think I'm getting this right from suburban districts. But the basic point is is that it is a much more unified caucus now since it is uh, you know, largely th- there's just not a lot of people from rural districts and it's mainly uh, urban districts and suburban districts. So that is kind of a, a structural reality that at least will probably make it easier to, to do stuff in the House. Obviously, you, you've got the Senate, so it's a totally different thing. Yeah. But I, I do think that does um, that is something that may, be, that may make a difference over time. Yeah. Uh, it's it certainly, you know, it's, it's, it's funny, uh, you know, John... It's not funny. You know, John Dingle passed away a few months ago, and he was, I think he was in his early 90s when he passed away. Maybe Uh, the longest serving representative in the House? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, And it's this thing where, you know, now his widow represents that seat, and his father represented that seat for like maybe 20 years before he did so this mm-hmm. the seat's been in the family for like 90 years yeah. in any case when he passed away you know he had this kind of quirky you know uh uh twitter presence yeah. you know that he'd retired a few years ago and you know kind of everybody loved him right yep. and but i think he's actually the founder of the ILA that that oh, really? kind of NRA wow. think tank and he was 
a kind of for most of his career a strong you know kind of NRA guy and certainly back in the 90s there were still a lot of Democrats who you know got uh, got funding from you know got uh, contributions from the NRA and had good grades from the right. NRA or whatever it is and and so it's a it's a different time it's it, it really was not as clearly partisan as it is now and the other thing too I mean in in the sort of slight defense you didn't have things like NRA TV right, with all right. this kind of like crazy race war shit and stuff, yeah. you know, that it, that it was it was still a very malign organization, but it was basically just, you know, no bans on handguns, no, you know, the waiting periods and all this kind of stuff. It was it was a big difference, but but um, things have changed. And I, I, I was really struck um, when he when he. Uh, when Harwood flagged that that data point, that again, that's a that's a big difference for not that long a period of yeah. time, and only I mean, you know eight years. I, I was just going to say, if you look at how monolithic the twenty twenty Democrats on this are on this issue, I mean, there's like very little sunlight between them, and you have Gillibrand and Bernie running away from their old NRA right. ratings, you right. know, on a weekly basis. Yeah, so. and again, from rural, you know, yeah, rural exactly. state, rural districts. Yeah. I mean, it's it's a pretty it's it's a pretty it's it's a pretty basic thing, and I, I, I mean, I've wondered this for a long time, but it it does kind of seem when the when the dam breaks on this, it could break in a pretty dramatic way because it's it's this it's this funny kind of thing that's always been, and you even alluded to this, Kate, about about the gun control debate, and I think it's one of the enervating things for people who are so upset about this that even the things we're talking about are so limited it's just like you have to wait like 10 days to get your gun instead of three days and maybe you know you can't just buy the gun on the internet it without getting a background check i mean it's pretty it's pretty limited stuff and and and, you know that can be important you know obviously because some of these things are you know, someone's in some sort of spiral or something like that, and 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 uh, you know, having to wait ten days can can make a difference. Yeah. But you know, should you even have these, you know, kind of free access? You know, basically, as long as you're not a felon, or it's not really obvious that you're losing your mind, you can buy one of these like military style yeah. weapons and go in and just like. Do what you will. Plow through, yeah. like, you know, 50 or 60 people. It's, yeah. it's, I mean, it's crazy. I mean, the most sobering statistic from that shooting was, what, the Dayton one was over in 30 seconds, like 60 less than seconds? A minute. Yeah. yeah, it was dead, or at least shot And he had already killed minute. nine people, yeah. you know? And I think almost 40 people were shot in total, right? Well, if you if yeah. you if you just think, I mean, I I uh, I won't even say the places, but I have sometimes thought sometimes when, you know, when you're in, when you're in, um, you know, transportation context where a lot of people kind of crowded together. And I think about it, man, someone had like an AR-15 here. Just, you, there's so many people and, and you probably kill a lot of people just with the crowd effects. Right. Everybody's right. running and they're yeah. packed together. Um, you, you see how those things, sh- you know, shoot. You can just, uh, especially, what was the, the guy in Dayton had this, this kind of Yeah, like a hundred round attachment. Kind of barrel yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. It, looked, right. it looked like, kind of like a, you know, in the military where they have those kind of 
you know, carbines where they're feeding, right. you know, kind of uh, feeding ammunition, like in the little, right. uh, you know, whatever, whatever it is. It, it's, it's not surprising you can kill nine people that quickly. You're yeah. just, you're, you're firing, you know, a kind of a constant, I guess it's, it's not technically a constant stream because it's not, it's not actually automatic, but right. you know, good enough. Exactly. Right. It's, 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 it's wild. Yeah. Well, let's shift topics just a little bit to, I think it kind of dovetails on your point about suburban, you know, voters and, and representation. And, and that is, you know, in the past, I don't know, a couple of weeks, we've had what feels like every day you wake up and there's a new Republican representative who has announced that they're not going to seek reelection. Kind of the biggest name in the last week or so was Will Hurd. A te- uh, congressman from Texas, the only black Republican in the House of Representatives. Is that right? Is, yeah. is that your guys' understanding? Yeah, that's right. Um, and and a, one of only two in Congress. Tim right. Scott. Tim Scott from one, yeah. South Carolina exactly. in the Senate. And Kate, you've been following this pretty closely, but it mm-hmm. feels like, um, yeah, each day there's there's another another name on the list. We have a you know we have a list here. Representative Susan Brooks from uh, Indiana, Paul Mitchell from. Michigan, Pete Olson from Texas. There's a number of congressmen like three from, or Texas. Four from Texas now, right? Four from Texas, okay. and you know, of of the possible flips, I have a running list of twelve retirements right now, and of those, five of them are possible flips. Of those five, three of them are from Texas. Yeah. So what's going on in Texas, Josh? What do you think is behind all that? Well, it, it's funny because you know one of the big things I, I don't remember now exactly how many flip, but one of the big things coming out of 2016 was that obviously President Trump won Texas, but he didn't. He won it by a significantly smaller margin than Mitt Romney had won Texas in 2012, and there were a number of these suburban seats in I think like suburban Dallas, maybe one Houston, around Houston, like, yeah. right, where. Uh, the the rep didn't win by that much or Trump was was maybe lost in those districts. And you had certain cases where maybe Hillary won a suburban district in one of those big cities by like a point and the representative won by a lot more. But that's because no one was really running against him. Um, and it's a him in, 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 in most of these cases. So they went into 2018 knowing there was a lot of possibilities and they got a lot and they, they managed to flip a few right. of them. And it sounds like I know Hurd was one of these examples. But as, as you said, that that I guess three of these mm-hmm. reps from Texas are people who just held on in 2018 yep. and probably like weren't looking forward. Like, like, do I want to, you know, Right. Well, I mean, and heard, I think that. And do you think part of it too is, I mean, in 2020, it's a presidential year. Turnout is obviously much higher than it would be, and so there's maybe a chance. Oh, there's voters will be more energized just in general. There will just be more, you know, higher turnout. And I was just to say, I mean, it is. It's interesting because they did have. Cruz was leading the ballot in 2018, where a lot of these people just squeaked by. And on the one hand, you know, the Cruz versus Overwork Senate race was one of the kind of celebrity races that people came out for and paid attention to, despite Cruz's, you know, universal (laughs) unlikability. (laughs) But yeah, I mean, the Texas cases, especially, I think, I feel like these retirees kind of fall into two buckets. And one of them is 
your district is getting much bluer, much faster. And after you just held on by two, three points in 2018, who wants to go through that again? Yeah. And then the other bucket are, you know, uh, the majority of these people are from very safe Republican holds. And I think for them, it's just what fun is it being on the back bench again, especially right. when flipping it looks unlikelier and unlikelier. Well, and that's one of the things that I, I have drawn from it is that and those in some ways are the key ones because those people aren't going to lose their race. They're just thinking like, I'm going to be in the minority again. This isn't fun anymore. Yeah. Right. And it, just cash in basically. Or, yeah. Or in some of these cases and, and it, it, it varies, you know, varies from, from person to person. A lot of them just don't like having to kind of clean up for Trump all the time and constantly be defending Trump. Yeah. Um, so it's the combination of those two, but what really, uh, struck me about those is that when I saw those, I was like, wow, you guys are even more pessimistic than I am about your chances. <laughs> like, you really don't think mm-hmm. this is going to happen. Yeah. And I mean, I'm like cautiously optimistic that they can that they can hold the house, but it's not like I see it as like a, a dead certainty. And they do seem to see it as like a very good likelihood yeah. that that's, that that's going to happen. Yeah. So, you know, and, and the, the, the other thing that's a little hard to figure about this, normally we would, well, as a general matter, going back for the last 10 or 15 years, presidential years are better for Democrats than, than the, you know, the midterms. The mid-terms. Years, yeah. um, and there's, you know, bigger elect- electorate, which generally means a younger and more diverse electorate, blah, 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 blah. Um, and on the other hand, but in 2018, obviously, Democrats did fairly well. It was a, you know, traditionally a first midterm election for a president goes goes badly for them. Right. So it's kind of hard. Like, I don't think we know necessarily, like, is 2020 going to be a better environment right. for Democrats or a better environment and a lot for of those, Republicans? It's not it's really a lot of the clear. pickup. A lot of the pickups for Democrats in 2018 were some of those like Orange County Republican seats. Right. Yep. And so, you know, Texas wasn't really on my radar as far as, a, you know, Democratic pickup opportunity. And, you know, like you say, Kate, I guess some of these are, you know, some of these seats across the country are sort of safely Republican. But well, again, that that definitely going into it, it was though that that there were I don't know how many exactly there there were, but again these these suburban districts around the big cities, Dallas, Houston, I don't know you know ex- the exact mix, but uh, you know pretty conservative state, but they had been trending away, and you you know you. There, there's kind of something happening there under the top lines of a of a pretty red state. Now we we also have these. There have been a number of polls out that show President Trump in a in a fairly competitive race, even for Texas. Mm-hmm. There was one like a week or so ago that had O'Rourke like over him, who's who's uh, you know nowhere in the primary. Doesn't seem like he's you know he should like run for Senate, but showed him beating Trump by a significant amount. There have been other ones that showed. Biden, you know, tied or just ahead. So you have these you have these cases where, you know, it's been this sort of like great white whale for the Democrats for years and years that, oh, Texas is going blue and all this kind of stuff. But you can have a particular political moment, a particular issue set, a particular person like Trump, which pushes things in a in a in a in a pretty dramatic way. So that 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 could be happening. It's, it's hard to say. And I think part of that, too, uh, with the suburban effect is that Trump has just been hemorrhaging women. You know, I mean, suburban women 
are the two words that sum up the 2018 midterms. Right. And there was a pullout this week, uh, Quinnipiac, I think, which showed him losing support with like blue collar women, mm-hmm. you know, women without college degrees, which right. is and, you know, being distasteful to an entire half of the country is just and it seems to be that he's getting more so and you know suburban women are the ones who are voting and you know that's happening in texas that's happening where these people are retiring um so i think that's a a big part of uh, this dynamic right mm-hmm. now yeah mm-hmm. something to watch for sure all right let's go to our last topic kate you've been writing every week kind it's of about texas Another <laughs> Texas story. Right, exactly. right. Another Texas segue. story. Right, right. You've been writing a story. These stories for our our membership audience uh, for TPM Prime about just kind of I don't know. Would you say just wacky stories that are kind of happening across the country? Tell us a little bit about just sort of what you do yeah. in that series every week and kind of how you find some of these, and then we'll kind of home in on one of these in yeah. particular. Okay. So the kind of point of doing this weekly series was that one of TPM's hallmark strengths has been to kind of dig up the corruption-y or scandalous or in some way kind of just kooky antics of people at the state and local level, which is happening all the time, but doesn't always break through. Yeah. We used to call it the crazy before it kind of became everything. everything. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah. So uh, the point of my uh, weekly series is to just kind of excavate those and bring them to the surface, flesh it out a little bit more and, um, you know, talk to some of the the local people, which is much, you know, it's easier to get some real insight um, when it's on a smaller scale like this. And people tend to be a little less media trained yeah let's guard let's guard <laughs> take yeah. advantage of their of their of their lack of media sophistication yeah. yeah so yeah so you've written about um just talk about just a couple of the other kind of yeah about i mean Tilferky and things like that and <laughs> yeah that uh that was a, a battle in arkansas over the definition of meat but um that's playing out currently um i've written about things like uh speaking of guns in texas there's a kind of a constant uh, really interesting tension between the NRA and Texas rest- establishment and then these um, very, very right wing gun rights groups who are, you know, um, crusading for open, unpermitted carry, things like that. Um, I wrote about the woman who kind of began the crusade for um, the fetal abortion bills that have had, um, well, limited success in a lot of southern states. Uh, yeah, so dynamics like that, and a lot of which end up bleeding into the overarching national narrative. But, you know, it, it, someone's got to start them. <laughs> yeah, right. yeah, absolutely. So you wrote an interesting story. Was it this week or last week? This text about the last the, week. Mm-hmm. the speaker of the Texas State House. So tell us kind of what's going on down there. Well, it's hard to know. But so basically what happened and what everyone can agree on is that there was a meeting in June uh, between the the first year speaker of the House, uh, who's Dennis Bonin, and this guy, Michael uh, Sullivan, who is a very well-known figure there. He's a libertarian type activist. He's got a lot of clout. His company is called Empower Texas. It's comprised of kind of a a pseudo news site, which is more for their press releases, Mm -hmm. disguised as articles. And then uh, he has a very well-funded super PAC. And so he's got a lot of sway in the state house. And so they had a meeting and Dustin Burroughs, who's the chairman of the Republican caucus, was there as well. Now, what Bonin says is that this meeting was about press credentials for the pseudo news site, uh, which has been a long raging battle because it's not a real news site. It's attached to <laughs> right. a fundraising arm and whatnot. And so, but Sullivan says that while he was there, he was given a list of 10 Republicans. 
Sullivan is the guy who runs the pseudo the news, yeah, news organization. Yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. Sullivan and Bonin are a big character. So Sullivan uh, says that he was then offered up. Bonin left the room. The chairman of the caucus stayed to kind of do the dirty work and gave him a list of 10 Republicans that he wanted him to target with his super PAC during the primaries. So, you know, right after this broke, kind of everyone... Sort of purge them, basically. Right. These are the guys I want you to get rid yeah, of exactly. kind of on my behalf, and I'll give you cred- credentials <laughs> exactly. as part of yep, the trade. Yep, that's okay. the trade. Okay. And so right after this happens, kind of the the immediate instinct seemed to be to trust Bonin, that that's not what happened, that this guy uses extremist tactics. You know, pe- the Republicans have been fairly pleased with Bonin so far this term. And um, he's new? He's new in the speakership? Yep, okay. yep, yep. First year. So... Then after that happened, Sullivan was like, well, wait, because I have a recording of the entire meeting. Okay. And Bonin is is released the tapes. They'll vindicate me. And so Sullivan starts playing them for some people who are on and off the list in the Republican caucus. And all of them are suddenly like, okay, we're not releasing these. So, okay. Why does he want to release it? That is, I have no idea. Does he not really know what's on? Like. Do you, th- Maybe he doesn't think it was as bad as it was, because from what I'm hearing, the the kind of unified reaction of these people who heard the tapes was Democrats will destroy us with these audio clips. This is the, the, the rudest thing I've ever heard. You know, apparently he was just talking bad about all kinds of people in his caucus, you know, just kind of very much letting loose. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. There was a Dallas Morning News story that you wrote up today that, yeah, basically kind of was airing all of these, I don't know, kind of Republicans fretting about what would happen if the if the tapes were released, right? right? Yeah. Do we let me ask you this. Do do we have any idea is it is it beyond trash talking like this guy sucks, this guy's an idiot, I hate this guy. To more like offensive kind of well, stuff or well, a maybe <laughs> something that's offensive, but it's but it sounds like it's not so much a danger to the speaker guy. It's a danger to everyone else. So it doesn't, at least doesn't sound, well, I guess the other thing is, are they disclosing, if not criminal bad acts, like bad behavior? Like, what is it? Because this sounds like, it sounds like they've just got like a big bucket of kryptonite and everybody's <laughs> yeah. terrified of it. Yeah. I mean, you know, in some ways it's hard to tell. I think the the most of the reactions have been, I think uh, this is damaging. This is embarrassing. So, I mean, the spectrum could range from, you know, so-and-so is weak, bad on this, vulnerable, easy to take down this way. Right. Damaging to have a speaker say that about his member to something you're talking about, like, well, this guy embezzles every week, so best (laughs) to get rid of him. Has there been any move among the the I mean Tex, the Texas legislature has all these like weird dynamics to it mm-hmm. where it's basically run by the lieutenant governor and who kind of is more powerful than all this weird stuff but it, has there been any move from the Republicans like dude you've got to go I've seen one kind of conservative um more in the activist circle calling for his resignation who had for heard Bonin's the tapes. Yeah, yeah, for right. Bonin's resignation. But it's still, as of now, only like six of these members have heard the tapes or at least have said that they've heard the tapes. So there, I haven't seen any. Basically, cry there's for no groundswell for him to leave. Not right now. And are the people who've heard the tapes, are, the, are they the people getting trashed? Or there's some of them half are there. Half. Yeah. yeah. Okay. If you are on the list, you know, one guy was like, yes, I was very much on the list. <laughs> you know, he was displeased. Yeah. So, but it's, I guess what I it just, and I guess what I don't, something doesn't fit here because if you're on the list and if he's trash talking you 
it sounds like they're coming up like, oh yeah, he said I suck and I'm a big idiot. Please don't release this. Like, <laughs> like, like the normal response would be like, you've got to go. Right. Yeah. I, I, you know, I will never support yeah, how you can again. You have, yeah. How can yeah, you have a speaker who's kind of not really yeah, representing? Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's just because, you know, basically the week before this broke, he pledged to spend all this money to protect his incumbents. Maybe they're weighing the... Is it worth my dignity to lose this money? I don't know. And I think the the weirdest thing to me is still how he, his initial reaction was release the tapes. You know, that either shows a, a poor memory or a lack of self-awareness or something. Well, okay. You know? So, and, and so th- the tape is just something owned by the Sullivan guy, right? right? I mean, there's no legal process here. It's right. basically just whatever he decides to do. I mean, I, is, it, know, is it possible if, that he's like... You know, saying it, but then calling the dude and say, dude, never release those. T-. I mean, maybe it's like he can just it's yeah. it, something doesn't fit. The here. whole thing is weird. It's weird that the Republican uh, chairman of the caucus, who was the one who was said to have delivered the he has just you know disappeared. He hasn't commented once since this happened. I spoke to his office and they were just, you know, thanks for the inquiry. We're not commenting <laughs> at this time. And I'm like, really? Is he going to be allowed to ride out this storm? Because he seems just as culpable as Bonin to me. Well, if the Sullivan guy is half a journalist, you know, maybe he'll just release the... Well, is he, is he, is, is, what is the Sullivan guy's angle at this point seems to be? Is he just trying to kind of drag it out to sort of, you know, maximize his own power, sway, whatever, or that's just not clear? Probably because he is, he was the first one who was like, I don't want to release this unredacted because it's a boon to the Democrats, you know? So I don't know, maybe he wants those press credentials really badly, but (laughs) (laughs) but it's also, you know, there is um, kind of a lot at stake here because the dynamic of the, what you were kind of alluding to, Josh, is that Republicans do obviously run the House, but really not by that much. Um, In the Texas legislature, it's uh, 83 Republican to 66 Democrats, and Democrats picked up 12 seats in that body in 2018 and came under 10% close in 17 more races. And some of those same Democratic challengers are coming for another bite of the apple in 2020. So, you know, uh, having the Republicans implode at this moment is so precarious for them that I really think that's probably part of the motivation of being like, don't release the tapes. This will blow over. Right. Right. I guess you could sort of the attack ads sort of write themselves when a Republican speaker is shitting on his own (laughs) members of the party, right? As a Democrat, that's sort of an easy... I don't know, easy thing to seize on. Yeah. Right, right. Well, it's, you know, it's only, I think I remember this right, that, you know, one of the big thing, you know, we talk about Trump and norms and, and breaking norms and, 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 and so forth. I'm pretty sure I'm remembering this right. One of the, one of the big early stages of this, I think it was after, it was during, it was during a, a second Bush presidency. Um, maybe it was, 2004 or five. In any case, you know, we have a census and we redistrict every once every 10 years. That's the sort of the rule, but it's not really a rule. It's you have a census and, and, but you can redistrict every year if you wanted to, there's no, there's no, you know, you can do whatever. Um, I think I'm remembering this right. It was the first time. I mean, it's relatively recent that the state legislature actually became even became Republican. Mm. It's only like 15 years ago or something like that. And what you had had, as with many southern states, a lot of those Democrats were people we would now recognize as Republicans, but they were Democrats. 
they were you know part of the Democratic caucus. And so, and again, I, I think I'm remembering I, the the thing about the mid you know mid decade redistricting. I definitely remember because TPM was very big on this. As a there was this whole thing where the the Democratic members like like fled the state and all this kind of weird stuff. But the point was is that they finally got the majority. So they're like, F this, man. We're going <laughs> to redistrict this thing and get a lot of seats, you know, where we're going to kind of pack all the minor, uh, minority, uh, you know, neighborhoods into, into um, uh, you know, a few districts and then kind of, you know, sort of writ large what we've seen across the country. And that was only, again, that was like, I don't know if it was 2003 or 2005. It wasn't that long ago. So, so the, the Republican ascendancy, at least as you know, uh, officially Republican, very conservative for a long time. Um, but that is, is not that, you know, it's relatively recent. Yeah, that's it's interesting. in the last 15 years. And the so. governor's office has been Republican for a long time. I mean, Perry was what, a three term governor? And then Bush, two terms. I mean, he took over Bush's term right. and Bush came in, I think in, oh God, was it nine? No, it wouldn't have been 98. Cause I think he had, it, it might've been 94 because I think he was in his he had he had been reelected I think he was elected and reelected and then ran in the middle of his term in 2000 so that would mean that he came in in got it not well you know I don't yeah, really remember exactly right. but, but yeah the, but the point is before that though it was you know, Democratic. Right. It was Ann Richards. It right. was Cecile Richards. That's right, right. Yeah. yeah, it's interesting just to kind of tie it to our, our previous topic. If, you know, suburban women are abandoning Trump, abandoning Republicans in general, I mean, maybe the, you know, that has ripple effects down to the state legislature as well. It'd be something interesting to watch. Well, it's, it's you know, one of the things that's, that's helpful to remember is Barack Obama gets a lot of criticism from Democrats to to a real degree for good reason that the Democratic Party got hollowed out under right. his eight There's years really no as, pipeline. As, as, as president. But what is important to remember is something somewhat similar happened under Bush in in his eight years, um, and you can see now the the critics of Obama would say, yeah, but not quite as badly, and that's true. But it is this pattern. When you have a when you have a president of one party, it gives you a kind of something to run against, you know, just kind of at all levels. Um, and so it happens, and you can you can already see it happening um, with Trump and and a certain kind of president because who they are, their political identity, their you know all these different things about them can take sort of cohorts, sort of groups, demographic groups in the population, and kind of nudge them, accelerate the direction they were going in, but hadn't quite got there yet, right? And and that is clearly happening in some, you know, in, in, in parts of suburban America. You see it in suburban Atlanta, you see it in suburban Dallas, suburban Houston, a lot of these, you know, suburbs of big cities in, 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 in red states. And that's something that was... Uh, you know, happening, but it's been accelerated tremendously. And like, you know, uh, was it Lucy McBath? Is, do I have mm -hmm. that name right? Yeah. Yep. You know, that's Newt Gingrich's district. Yeah, that's why. I'm right. And, you know, it's 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 it's, wow. it's it's important to remember. It was it was well, it was Gingrich, and then I think it went right to was it Price, the guy who who Tom Price. Yeah, Tom Price. I'm pretty sure it went right to him. And then he was HHS secretary briefly. It, right, and, and then, he was succeeded by that handle. 
woman who Karen Handel, Karen Handel yeah. uh, who I guess was there in there for a year, and then she lost in that very close race. Right. But again, that's Newt Gingrich's district. That's a pretty telling. Yeah. You know, that's a pretty telling thing. Yeah, absolutely. All right. All right. So I guess we got to say. Uh, Grady's cold brew, yada, yada, yada. Yes, Remember thank you, to Grady's. have, yeah, thank you, Grady's. But uh, in all seriousness, uh, if, you know, Grady's cold brew, it, it powers TPM. We have, a, we, I'm looking right now at a refrigerator that has like 20 boxes of Grady's in it. Uh, are you ready to get 20% off your first order at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM? Of course you are. So go right to Grady'sColdBrew.com and use promo code TPM to get 20% off. And remember, subscribe to TPM. It is, it is totally important, yes. and TPM produces this show, and it's how we run the business. So uh, if you like the podcast, if you uh, are, and if are you a TPM read, reader. If you want to read more of these Texas stories yeah. Kate's working yeah. on and otherwise, <laughs> yeah. that's how yeah, you do totally. it. Yeah, totally. Absolutely. That's, uh, we, we have our, our, uh, a lot of our awesome stuff is, is, is behind the paywall. And we're offering that's a special deal is. right now. Yes, if you go are. to talkingpointsmemo.com slash deal, you can get 20% off uh, an annual subscription. I guess we got that from Grady's. From Grady. You know, 20%. Yeah. Same kind of thing. It fits together well. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Kate, thank you for joining us. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks, Josh. Later. Bye.